The following is a message by Dr. Michael Horton of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, please visit us online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at www.wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that grace which you have extended to us in your Son. We pray that through your word this morning, we would have a clearer grasp of that grace and a clearer sight of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Continuing the series in uh, Hebrews this morning, we turn to Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 8. Familiar passage, especially uh, in conversations with uh, friends who do not believe in the perseverance of the saints. This is one of the primary passages that they refer us to, and uh, so I'm going to focus on it more as a catechetical uh, set of catechetical observations than a sermon or uh, message this morning. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ... Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, And then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain, which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed, and it ends by being burned. This passage seems rather remote from the claim of the great St. Augustine in his treatise on predestination and perseverance of the saints, where he says, This grace God placed in Christ in whom we have obtained a lot, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things. And thus, as he worketh that we come to him, so he worketh that we do not depart. Many of us were raised in circles where simply to believe in eternal security designated you a Calvinist. Uh, And uh, yet, that particular version of of eternal security itself is often grounded in a a, a confidence in a free will that once it makes a decision, sort of causes God to be stuck with it. Uh, it's something that can't be reversed. It's a, a kind of mechanical view of how salvation works. You, once you pull the lever, it can't be unlocked. It can't be, uh, it can't be withdrawn. Norman Geisler identifies himself as a moderate Calvinist, uh, while his stated position is this, God's grace works synergistically on free will. Put in other terms, God's justifying grace works cooperatively, not operatively. Indeed, God would save all men if he could. He will achieve the greatest number in heaven that he possibly can. 
Each creature is free to accept or reject the grace of God in salvation. Of course, God determinatively knew from all eternity who would and who would not believe. Uh, and and uh, so this is described as moderate Calvinism, uh, when it's really pretty thoroughgoing Arminianism. So this is one view of, of eternal security uh, that uh, grounds our perseverance, our preservation, really in our own will and action, something that we have decided that God is therefore stuck with. Uh, Lewis Berry Chafer says, uh, God chose the plan as a whole, not piecemeal. He knew in advance before the choice of a plan who in this plan would be saved and who would not. By faith, we must assume that God chose the best possible plan. Election may be seen to proceed from the foreknowledge of God. And then he goes on to say on that basis, once a person is regenerated, which is the result of a human decision, that process cannot be reversed. So that posi- with that position, you come to a passage like Hebrews 6, and the only thing that you can say is really, th- this is hypothetical. It's something that never actually happens. Uh, it, 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 is, it is impossible for someone to be described in this passage as tasting of the Holy Spirit and being made a partaker of the age to come and then falling away. And so it's treated as as hypothetical. On the other hand, uh, the the only other option, it seems to many uh, Christians today, is to simply deny eternal security. Simply to deny uh, that uh, people are unconditionally saved uh, by faith in the promise of God. They could be believers uh, one moment but then uh, surrender their belief and therefore lose their salvation. And this is the view that is held by Lutherans as well as Arminians. In our passage, we read of the impossibility for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, to be renewed to repentance if they fall away, since they crucify the Son of God, all over again, and subject him to public disgrace. The eternal security position can explain this only by suggesting that this is a hypothetical warning. Uh, It's never actually carried out. It doesn't actually happen that people who enjoy these spiritual benefits lose them. But does that do justice to the text? First, it speaks of the impossibility of their being renewed to repentance, which suggests that they had repented before. Second, it suggests that they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public shame. Surely we're dealing with people who not only claim to have been introduced to the realms of God's gracious activity, but actually belonged in some sense to that realm of God's gracious activity. The eternal security position simply falls short of really taking seriously these passages, it seems to me. But on the other hand, Arminian exegesis uh, apparently fails to place the warning in the context of covenantal history and even within uh, within the context of the passage itself. 
where, of course, as we've heard, the writer to the Hebrews is warning Jewish Christians not to go back to the types and shadows of the law, whether it's to avoid persecution because Jews were given a slightly better status than the Christian sectarians in the Roman Empire and the diaspora at this time. And maybe, maybe uh, they uh, wanted to go back to the types and shadows to avoid persecution. Or maybe they just thought that the realities of this new covenant aren't so real as a temple still standing in Jerusalem with its sacrificial system. Whatever the reasons are, the writer to the Hebrew says, Dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. I think that is the key passage for the, if, 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 if the eternal security, uh, brothers and sisters, can't deal with the passages I've just quoted, I think the Arminians have trouble dealing with, uh, with that uh, qualification. But beloved, we are convinced of better things, verse 9, concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. And then he goes on to talk about the solidity of the promise, the solidity of the covenant that was established in Jesus Christ as a, a greater mediator of a greater covenant. Why would the writer distinguish, though, the lapsed, those who have fallen, from his general readership along the lines of things that accompany salvation if he didn't think that that was different from the spiritual gifts that he had just described people losing. It would seem that the writer to the Hebrews is consciously making a distinction between life in the covenant community, the benefits of being a visible member of the covenant community, without actually receiving the benefits through faith. A covenantal interpretation then offers a third option here. We're not left to either eternal security or, uh, or an Arminian uh, interpretation. Really, I think only a, a, a reformed covenantal interpretation does justice to these passages. Abraham, as we know from Romans 4.11, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness which he had by faith. Circumcision was a sign and seal of justification, but it didn't cause it. It didn't bring it about. And consequently, Abraham submitted his children to circumcision as God had commanded. But once again, that didn't mean uh, that all descendants of Israel were Israel. God still maintained his prerogative to choose whom he would and to, uh, to make children of promise out of the children who are visible members of the community of, of God. And yet, being a visible member of the church, the covenant of God, uh, really was in a kind of already and not yet way to participate in the powers of the age to come. And that's why in Hebrews 6, such people who fall away from the blessings of baptism, the Lord's Supper, preaching week after week, are described as land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, but bears thorns instead of fruit. In other words, what he's saying is the means of grace are objective and real. They, they, they don't work when you let them. 
Baptism, you are baptized even if you don't receive the uh, reality that it signifies and seals. Uh, Communion is the body and blood of Christ whether you receive the body and blood of Christ for your salvation. The sacraments are what they are. The word of God is the word of God whether you believe it or not. And yet, as this rain falls on the ground often, some people, as the Puritans said, the same, the same sun that uh, melts wax uh, hardens ground. Uh, uh, something like that. I'm not sure. How, how does it go? <laughs> it softens and hardens. That's the point. <laughs> Don't have to be elegant. Um, uh, no hope of, of me being elegant anyway. But it, you know, this, is the, this is what the means of grace do. It's rain falling from heaven week after week on the covenant community. And the whole covenant community benefits. Once been enlightened, uh, that was uh, a term that was often used in the early church for baptism. It's in the Didache, for example. Uh, and so uh, it seems reasonable to believe that what he's referring to is, is, is uh, baptism. They have been baptized or enlightened. They have tasted of the heavenly gift. wonder what that is. The Lord's Supper. And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the coming age. And this is entirely possible within the covenantal framework to understand this. Again, dispensationalism and Arminianism have no category here for a member of the covenant community who, like Esau, rejects his birthright. And that's what makes falling away so tragic. That's what makes apostasy so heartbreaking, especially when we can think of people we grew up with in church who walked away from it all, and they seemed more pious than we were. We thought that they really believed this. We thought that they really were convinced of the power of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. We thought that they were sharing in and tasting the heavenly gift, not just the bread and the wine, but the reality that they signified. We thought that they were, they were not just visibly united to Christ's community, but that they were inwardly regenerated and belonged to Christ, and yet they fall away, yet they, they walk away from it all. And what we say then on the basis of passages like Hebrews, Romans 11, where Paul talks about branches being broken off and wild branches being grafted in, is that the vine, the visible vine of Christ, being united to that visible vine is different from being united inwardly and spiritually and vitally to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. That means that the covenant community is a wonderful place and a dangerous place. It means that it's a place where the Holy Spirit is at work, where heaven reigns, strange water on the earth, and a place where covenant children are held responsible, not only for going through the motions, but for receiving the reality that they have been promised with such great and tender and strong cords of God's love to accept. And so as he says in chapter 4, along very similar lines, 
There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest, actually entered his Sabbath rest, has himself also rested from his works, so God did, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For those who persevere to the end will be saved. Let's pray. Father, we come to you uh, very much aware that you have graciously given us tangible signs and seals of your covenant promises through which we take hold of the reality that they deliver. And yet at the same time, it makes us even more ungrateful should we receive the gifts without the giver. Should we embrace the, 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 the signet without the ring? Should we embrace the box without the treasure? And so help us, Father, to, as covenant children, as covenant heirs, and those with covenant children, Father, always uh, to embrace these wonderful gifts, these wonderful promises that you have given us, as you have clothed your promises, even in creaturely things always to receive the reality that they signify. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.